This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24 7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterin. It's been a while, but we'll be happy to be back with you here. Today we're going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights at UFC 222, live from Las Vegas on Saturday. Real quick, if you're on Twitter, you can give John a follow at John Litterin. I'll spell that out for you, at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at jakeski 52 John, we skipped a couple, but we're back at it. It feels great to be back. I mean, since the last time we talked in uh, in December here, uh, I was thinking that the biggest story is probably Stipe Miocic pulling the upset. He was the underdog when he was the champion, pulling the upset against Francis Ngannou and doing so in dominating fashion here. He's going to fight DC in July here. How long do you think he can keep it up? Well, I guess, you know, the common answer is, you know, probably 50-50 if he can keep it up uh, past July. Um the Nagano fight, you pretty much we learned that Stipe Miocic is an all-around mixed martial artist that's capable of fighting for 25 minutes. He took everything Nagano had through at him early. Um, you know, he absorbed a couple shots, but you know he hung in there. And he, obviously, Nagano's cardio betrayed him, and Stipe was able to keep it up for 25 minutes. And like you said, cruise to the easy win. But um, you know, the, the fight with Cormier is going to be you know something entirely different. Cormier is not going to gas out. Um, Stipe is obviously going to have a big size advantage, but you know, he obviously, he's not going to, he hasn't faced a wrestler, you know, of DC's caliber. So, um, that's obviously a few months away, but it's easy to see why the UFC, you know, decided to go that route, especially with now that Ninganu lost, uh, obviously no clear cut contender in the division really. Yeah, exactly. Stipe beating most of the top contenders already. The light heavyweight division shallow. It all makes sense. Uh, you know, I'm looking on best fight odds right now. They're they're way out ahead on this. They've got uh, Stipe as a minus 185 to minus 205 favorites. So something to uh, think about moving forward. But John, let's shift the focus to this Saturday. Uh, we've got a pretty interesting card. I mean, I noticed DraftKings has got a. Uh, He's got a sixteen thousand person tournament. It's a ten dollar GPP. Uh, they're paying out twenty five grand to the top prize, and I know that those tend to typically split, especially when you're in such a large field GPP. But uh, but they're going all out as they typically do for the pay per views. And and the biggest question, John, that 
that fantasy owners are going to have to decide whether it's that GPP or other cash games is whether or not to use Chris Cyborg because this is a Chris Cyborg headlined card here. We've got Cyborg at $9,700. She's also about a minus 1,600 favorite. She's going against Yana Kunitskaya, uh, who is an Invicta champion moving over. Uh, they pretty much they're starting to run out of fighters for Cyborg already, so they thought this was the best. Uh, this is the best chance here. So, John, turning to you here. Is there any path to victory for Kunitskaya? And uh, more importantly, I guess, does uh, Cyborg merit the $9,700 price tag? Uh, well, I don't see any path to victory, but you know, I think we're at the point where that's pretty much what we're going to say in every Cyborg fight until somebody beats her. Um, her most recent fight against Holly Holm, you know, it wasn't that dominant quick finish that we've become so used to with her. But the fact she outpointed her rather easily for the course of 25 minutes and her cardio held up the entire way was, I want to, I don't know, it wasn't, I don't want to say it was as impressive as a quick finish, but it certainly showed that, you know, she has another way of winning a fight. And we talk about this all the time, you know, the odds, you know, the Vegas odds you just mentioned, you know, north of, you know, minus 1600. That's, you know, Ronda Rousey, Ronda Rousey territory when Ronda was, you know, at her best and, and most dominant. slamming so, Triple H in the tables. <laughs> yes, which is also entertaining, but yes, entertaining you know, no, Vegas, right. no, no Vegas odds on that one. But, um, look, we all know the risk of putting somebody with that high salary in your lineup. If, if God forbid, something goes wrong and, you know, Cyborg takes a wrong step and her knee explodes or she gets caught with, a, you know, one shot or whatever you know, you're essentially sunk because you just, you can't make up the difference, mm-hmm. but she's facing an opponent. Like you said, Yana Kunitskaya, who is, you know, an Invicta champion and, you know, no disrespect to Invicta, but you know, that doesn't mean a whole lot just because she's an Invicta champion. Doesn't necessarily mean she's going to be able to come in and, um, you know, and compete with cyborg. And as I mentioned in our article, you know, the one common opponent they have with each other is Tanya Evinger. And Kunitskaya actually fought Evinger twice. Um, she beat her the first time, but it was overruled by uh, the Athletic Commission in Missouri because it was essentially a mistake by the referee. And they fought again um, in March of last year, just about a year ago. And Evinger beat her via submission. So to give you an idea, you know, obviously this isn't the be-all, end-all, but... Evinger, you know, in their one, you know, legitimate fight, he beat Kunitskaya via submission. Cyborg fought Evinger in July, so not that long ago, you know, for six, the inaugural seven title. Uh, yep. And the only reason Tanya Evinger lasted until 156 of the third round is because she has superhuman toughness. She's one of the toughest women walking the planet. And Cyborg beat her from pillar to post for you know, the better part of 18 minutes and, you know, the average, not just woman, but the average MMA competitor would have given up, you know, a long, long time before that. And look, there's no legitimate reason to believe that Kuninsky is going to win this fight. Honestly, there's no reason that I see to believe that she's really going to be competitive. Her background isn't striking. Seven of her 10 wins are via knockout, but do you really think somebody with such relatively limited experience, 13 professional fights, um, 14 professional fights, excuse me, is going to be able to handle Chris Cyborg in anything, let alone a kickboxing match when that's her strength. So, you know, look, it's a risk when you put that kind of money into one fighter. And what we always said about Ronda Rousey was Ronda was a submission fighter. So even though she got a couple quick knockouts when she threw Sarah McMahon on her head and all that, it's harder to predict someone getting a submission than it is to predict somebody getting a knockout. You know, you have more confidence, you know, in the knockout coming true than the submission. So, you know, it's a risky play always, you know, there's no way around it, but you know, if any high level fighter is worthy of that kind of salary, you would certainly think cyborg is the one. And as always, we tell you to hedge your bets, make multiple lineups, but you know, I think we're both on the same page as far as her being, you know, a good play, even with the, you know, high high salary mm-hmm. yeah but cyborg if it's a cash game 
I, I think that she's going to get a knockout within two rounds. I'm pretty confident in that. I think she's going to walk her down and eventually, you know, beat her into a point where the referee stops the fight. So I, but the thing is, is depending on how many strikes she lands leading up to that, whether she gets a knockdown or not, whether she gets a takedown, you know, you, she could come in there and, and throw 15 significant strikes, get the knockout be right around 100 DraftKings points. And we've seen from the last couple cards, like Jessica and Raj last weekend, uh, highest DraftKings score of the year, uh, even though it was, I believe it, yeah, it was a decision, but she threw around takedown after takedown, a ton of ground strikes, racked up a ton of fantasy points. The second highest DraftKings score of the year was uh, Valentina Shevchenko in that horrible Mario Yamasaki refing disaster where Yamasaki should have stopped the fight but let the opponent continue to take a beatdown. So the highest, highest DraftKings scores, the ones that would actually quote-unquote hit value at salaries over 9,500 aren't necessarily this style. So Cyborg, I'm predicting, you know, she's a pretty safe bet for 105 to 115 fantasy points. But what she's doing, you do with using her, is you're pretty much going to get a max of three betting favorites in. You have to have six fighters in the lineup. You're going to take some underdogs. And these betting favorites aren't going to be able to be super huge betting favorites because, I mean, we're going to talk about this later on, but there are, what, I count four, yeah, four more fighters that are minus 300 or more, and they're in the range of anywhere from like 8,900 to 9,300. And I'd almost rather take two of those than one cyborg and get some more safety there especially in cash games now if you're in a gpp and you want to use cyborg one other favorite and four more heavy underdogs that could be one strategy to potentially taking down uh that sixteen thousand person tournament here uh but yeah but overall i mean i i have a tough time doing it because like you said you're putting all your eggs in one basket and although i'm very confident in the knockout this the ceiling has to be I mean, not many fighters are going to have a higher ceiling than Cyborg, but you really got to be counting on 130 to 140 points if you're going to hit that, and that's not a lock with a quick knockout. So that's the one concern that I have there. No, you bring up a good point, but I mean, in that case, essentially, you know, you're betting on, if that's the way you look at it, you're betting on really how much damage can Kuniskaya take, really. Mm -hmm. You know, if Cyborg lands a couple of those early punches, you know, is she going to fold? You know, because you, you look at you know, last week, you bring up a good point that Jessica Andrade's teacher Torres fight. Um, you know, Torres hung around, you know, and lasted till the bell, but it was a fight that Andrade controlled and dominated the, you know, the whole way. So, you know, we certainly, neither of us expect Cyborg to rack up, you know, a kind of takedowns and have that kind of fight. Because she shouldn't and have to. It's a little, no. And it's a little hard. And it's, like I said, it's difficult. You know, Kunitskaya has never been knocked out in her pro career, but again, that means nothing because she's never fought a woman who punches half as hard as Cyborg does. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because she's never been knocked out doesn't, you know, really mean anything in regards to how long she's going to be able to last on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So you bring up a good point. And, you know, there's some luck involved in that because you're going to get more, you know, assuming Cyborg, you know, is dominant from the opening bell onward, you know, the amount of fantasy points you're going to rack up at that point, is entirely dependent on how much damage Kunitskaya can take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, just for perspective, you know, against Evinger, Cyborg landed 74 significant strikes. Um, I don't see a necessarily a knockdown in there, or there before the win. So, I mean, if, if you're going strikes alone, it's tough to rack that up, and I, and I definitely know where you're coming from there. There are situations, of course, so, so I mean, bringing it full circle, there are certainly situations in where using Cyborg would be a good strategy depending on the overall goal for your lineup. But I think the optimal, optimal lineup, or, or quote-unquote the perfect lineup you hear referred to, might not have Cyborg in. But if you do want to go with Cyborg, we'll hopefully give you some other build-around options here. But uh, that analysis is pretty straightforward, John. So let's move on to the co-main event uh, where we have a featherweight matchup between Frankie Edgar and Brian Ortega. Of course, this was originally supposed to be uh, the rescheduled matchup between Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway. Edgar dropped out of the Holloway-Edgar first fight due to injury. Holloway ended up beating Jose Aldo again. Now it's Holloway dropping out. And instead of waiting and seeing, Frankie Edgar's taking a massive, massive risk and fighting Brian Ortega, staying on the card. Now, where Holloway would have been a big favorite in the in the matchup then, now Edgar's a big favorite, or a modest favorite. He's 8,700 on DraftKings compared to Ortega's 7,500. Um, he's a minus 185 uh, Vegas favorite, Ortega plus 160. 
The Vegas bookmakers don't necessarily like this one to finish. They expected to see the final bell. It is only three rounds, so something to keep in mind here. But over these three rounds, keeping that in mind, John, how do you see this one playing out? I think pretty much all the numbers you just ran off on this one are pretty much in line in what they should be. Um, I, you know, this it could very well happen again, but no big secret. I, I was going to pick Holloway over Edgar, um, and I, I'm at the point where Holloway has done enough and shown enough that I'm probably going to pick him over anybody in the division until somebody beats him. Unless, or they do a but, super um, fight. There could be some super fight right. ones where it would get close, and that's always that. That's a right. different area here. You know, hypothetical. But you're right. This this is a risk for Frankie Edgar. He's facing a, a you know a fighter who is nearly ten years younger than he is. And, uh, you know, he's facing an opponent in Ortega who has, who his, he has one elite skill. And if, if I'm taking Frank Yeager and I am, I'm picking him to win, but Ortega's submission game, he is, you know, when you're looking for a reason, you know, to pick against a fighter, you look at somebody who has, you know, that one elite skill. For example, if someone's fighting Habib Nurmagomedov, you know, Habib's, you know, wrestling is reason enough to terrified about whoever he's fighting. Brian Ortega has the legitimate black belt on the ground. He is an exceptional ground specialist. Um, at, 20, at 27 years old, just turned 27 last week, um, he is, you know, probably one of the, you know, five or six or seven best ground fighters in the whole company, which, which is, you know, saying something for a fighter so young. But the thing I worry about with Ortega, who is undefeated for his professional career, 13 and 0, won no contest, is he's had fights, numerous, numerous ones, actually. Um, you know, Diego ran out of the Clay Guida fight. He, he's had fights where he's essentially looked terrible for the better part of two rounds. And then in the third round, um, you know, picked up the pace and, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, stole victories. You know, he was on his way to losing on, on the judges' scorecards and figured out a way to win. Now, that's not going to fly when you face a guy like Frankie Edgar, if you're not ready to fight from the opening bell onward against, you know, a tough, durable veteran like Edgar, whose you know, cardio is always terrific. Um, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And mean, Edgar, Edgar has never been knocked out or submitted in a fight his entire career. People might overlook that when setting these lineups, but if you're taking Ortega, you're counting on a submission probably. And the fact that it's never been done makes me really hesitant to touch either in this fight. Really? Frankie Edgar has been in 28 professional fights. And not only has he been in 28 professional fights, for the last, you know, decade, give or take, he's been fighting the best. You know, I don't have to, you know, we don't have to run off the guys he's fought. Chad Mendez, Jose Aldo, Jeremy Stevens, Zaire Rodriguez, Uriah Faber, Charles Oliveira, Benson Henderson twice, Gray Maynard, BJ Penn. It goes on and on and on. Yeah, the best in the world for, you know, the better part of a decade. So, you know, Frankie is not going to beat himself. I agree with, uh, you know, the idea that this will probably see the judges' scorecards. Um, both men are, are, have proven to be durable. Ortega has proven that he can take a bunch of punishment um, and hang around. Because he he's been beaten up pretty good in those fights where he ended up, you know, stealing victories in the third round. But I, I like, especially like you mentioned, which was a good point, this is a three-round fight. And I think Frankie's just going to outpace him. Um, yeah, I think he moves better on the feet. Ortega's striking is still, you know, it, it, he's, his striking is never going to get to the level of his grappling. But, um, you know, Frankie is the more fluid striker. Um, I, I just think he's the better all-around fighter. Now, if Ortega is able to get him in the mat, Ortega's ground game is so good that he can beat any man in the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that certainly wouldn't be a shock if, He's able to get him there. But based on the bodies of work, you know, I think Frankie deserves the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, I'm picking Frankie Edgar to win as well. I I don't think you can really pick against them given both fighters' resume leading up to this point. Now, the question for me is Frankie Edgar's 8,700. That's quite a bit for someone who's only about a minus 180 favorite. Uh, In his UFC career, 2.59 takedowns per 15 minutes, 3.55 significant strikes landed per minute. If this does see the final bell, as we expect, and he stays in line with his career averages, he's not going to hit value at 8,700. So really overall, I'm fading this fight in any of my lineups. I don't think I'm going to get a piece of either of these guys. If it were five rounds and Edgar had a little bit more time to rack up fantasy points, I think it'd be a different answer for me, and I'd be a little more attracted to Edgar. But overall, I'm going to fade this because, A, I don't think Edgar can hit value in a three-round fight, and B, 
I don't think Ortega can or can finish Edgar uh, just because it's never been done before. And of course, wild things happen in MMA more than any other sport, arguably. But I just don't see enough appeal from either guy to really put much stake in them on DraftKings. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, you know, you're, if you do that, you're essentially if you're taking it, you're you're kind of, you know, essentially betting on his, you know, his body of work really, and just that you know what you're going to get from him. Um, it's a good point because there are, I think there are enough names on this. You know, there have been some cards lately that feature a ton of guys or women that you know we don't know a ton about. The next fight is a perfect example of that. Uh, the next fight we're going to talk about, but so if you want to put Edgar in your lineup, you know you're going based upon the fact that you know he has such a body of work, and you know everybody knows a lot about him, and you know what kind of get from every time in and out. But you're right, you know it, it's one of those situations where eighty seven hundred to me for Edgar, it's not an you know it's not an ex, you know an insane salary. I don't think it's high enough to the point where you would look at that number and say, oh, forget it, I'm never using him. But I certainly agree with you in the sense that there's a, a distinct possibility that at that price he doesn't return value, even if we both think he's going to win, you know, fairly easily. Yeah, I'm predicting about 75 to 85 fantasy points over the course of three rounds. I'm not quite sure that's going to move the needle in a lineup here. But all right, enough about these guys. We kind of got the story there. Time to move on to an interesting welterweight belt that found its way onto the pay-per-view. I think it's a good card from top to bottom, so I was a little bit surprised. But I think the way the UFC wants to uh, market and bring up Sean O'Malley after the whole Dana White Tuesday night contender thing, if you remember that crazy Snoop Dogg call, uh, I linked it in the article in case anyone's curious. But uh, um, So Sean O'Malley, undefeated in his professional year, won his UFC uh, debut against Terry and Ware. Now they're going to bring in Andre Sukumthath. I hope I said that right. The UFC press website didn't normally they have a little audio recorder. Didn't quite have it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna call him. You were close enough. I'm sorry. What was that? Close you enough. Were close enough. Close enough. You were, you were close enough. Yeah. Okay. I awesome. called him Andre for the article. It was exactly. Easier. Yeah. I'm gonna do the same thing, and I'm sure Anik and Rogan and those guys are gonna stick to Andre as well. Sukumthath is 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 how it looks at least. So um, I know he's fought three times in 2017. So I fully acknowledge I should know this, but they've all been on pretty uh, low prelims here, and now he gets a uh, a a definite upgrade in exposure, and the two of them. It's really looking like a pick'em. Uh, Sukumthath, eighty-two hundred. I'm just gonna say Andre from now on. Andre is eighty-two hundred. O'Malley, eight thousand. Andre a minus one thirty-five betting favorite. O'Malley plus one fifteen. So that's hardly a difference. I mean, that's almost a pick'em. Odds to finish are kind of right on that line, minus one fifty. So Vegas likes it to go to finish uh, a decent amount more than than decision, but uh, uh, certainly wouldn't be surprising in a decision here. Um, but both of these guys, at least O'Malley, is impressed with volume so far. Who you like in this one, John? I picked O'Malley, but it, it's you know it's one of those sites where this is one that I think is just if you can best to avoid at all costs. Only because of legislative, gave a ton of information on Edgar. It's a real lack of information here, both ways. Um, the UFC is definitely trying to, and they've been doing this a lot lately, even on big cards. They seem to be mixing in, you know, a fight or two with lesser known fighters in hopes that they can, you know, promote, you know, some young fighters. I'm a little surprised that whether it's O'Malley here or, you know, Mackenzie Dern, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I'm a little surprised that, for example, they didn't have them do open workouts or something like that, only because, you know, it helps, you know, boost their their mainstream appeal. But, you know, these are two guys who have limited exposure in the UFC. Um, They fought, you know, subpar competition in what we have, you know, seen of them. So, um, you know, O'Malley would, you know, Sukumtha is a striker. Um, O'Malley's, you know, best path to victory, you know, would appear to be his wrestling, but, um, he's a little, O'Malley's a little bigger, a couple inches taller, a couple inch reach advantage. So, um, you know, this is one of those fights where I thought I liked what I saw from O'Malley in his first fight, but you know, there has, we haven't seen enough from either guy to really, you know, say with conviction, you know, a really a good prediction for you. So, and I think, you know, when it's close, you know, the payoff difference between the two, you know, is very slim given the DraftKings salaries, but, you know, O'Malley as the underdog and the guy with the lower salary, you know, will give you a slightly better payoff. So 
you know, when that's when you don't know who to pick, you know, you always go with the underdog only because the payoff's bigger. But exactly. you know, there's enough enough fighters on this card who are well known that I think you can probably safely get away with not mm-hmm. putting one of these guys in your lineup. Yeah, well, I mean. You know, at the same time, you could say that taking a flyer on one of these guys, banking on lower ownership, could help you in a GPP. But for the most part, John, I'm with you. The body of work just isn't there to make a really solid analysis on this. You mentioned O'Malley a little bit taller and longer than Andre, but the thing, but the thing for me is, even when I saw him on the Tuesday Night Contender series, he's a little. He seems. This probably isn't the right word, given that he's a professional fighter in better shape than I ever will be, but just a little bit lanky, whereas Andre looks more, he's a little more compact and solid. Now, I'm basing this entirely. Yeah, O'Malley's definitely slight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. O'Malley's definitely slight. Yeah, exactly. So I base this maybe a little bit too much on just the eye test from the limited, you know, quote unquote eye test. It's it's combine week here in the office, NFL combine week. So all those terms getting thrown around here, but uh, but the eye test tells me that maybe that Andre's just like a little more solid. And then there's the fact that he has three UFC fights, and O'Malley just has the one UFC fight and the and the Tuesday night contender. So, uh, you know, and and Andre did lose two of his first three fights, but he kind of came back with a pretty uh, solid. TKO victory over Luke Sanders in his last bout. So I, you know, I guess you know if you had asked me straight up with no DraftKings implications, who's going to who's going to win straight up? I guess I'd go Andre, but I think O'Malley might have a little bit more uh, fantasy appeal because uh, again, it's only one f- uh, fight, but he landed over eight significant strikes per minute in that debut against Terry and Ware. And uh, if he can get a knockdown or two mixed in there, that's going to be very very good. Uh, for O'Malley, as far as racking up fantasy points, if you do so, if you do get the knockout, then you get a big payout at eight thousand, and that's not too bad. And the thing for me is, with six fighters, you get eight thousand three hundred thirty-three dollars per fighter on average, and both of these guys are under average. So putting either of these guys in your lineup will give you a little bit of extra money to work with and i think they did that on purpose to try to get some more exposure to these guys in the contest i'm sure that's part of the DraftKings algorithm you know trying to predict ownership percentage when setting salaries and then you know that's why you see cyborg so high so i guess we're split on this one but but overall i know i I promise we'll get to some values and some recommendations later because we've seemed to be advising advising avoiding most of the main card which normally isn't the case but in this case i'd be hesitant to get too heavy on this one john here but let's uh keep things moving here with a shift to a heavyweight matchup we've got some recognizable names in here some recognizable names that have kind of hit rough patches of lately, at least to put it lightly. Stefan Struve is uh, 8,800 going up against Andre Arlovsky, 7,400. Struve uh, minus 225, Arlovsky plus 185. We got good odds to finish here, minus 260. So Vegas thinks we're going to have a knockout here. Uh, you know, reading your preview, John, you're not real high on either of these guys, but is there any fantasy implication or benefit you can draw from this fight? I mean, uh, you're right. I, I don't think highly of either at this point. I think they're both, you know, essentially done. Um, you know, Arlovsky, if he's done, it, it's because of his age. You know, he's just, he's older and he's been around forever. And, you know, at, at 39 years old, it's just about time. He defeated Junior Albini via decision in November, but prior to that, he lost five fights in a row. And I was actually kind of shocked UFC didn't release him after that. But, um, they decide to give him another chance. And, you know, if you're, if you think Arlovsky is a value play, then you're banking on the fact that he somehow would be able to rack up, you know, a knockout because even, you know, at age 39, he essentially, all he does is he just still throws power shots. Um, like he's in his, like, you know, like he was in his heyday, you know, early thirties you know, his footwork is non-existent. he, doesn't have you know the foot speed or hand speed to get into position to land the strikes like he used to. Um, you know he's getting hit far too much, obviously, than he ever did before. But you know the guy Stefan Schroeder, who he's facing, another guy who you know is not exactly you know a picture of consistency. He's struggled you know throughout his career. You know, a lot of that has been health related, but you know for a guy who. Um, I believe is the tallest fighter in UFC history. I mean, mm. north you don't see many seven footers grace the octagon. That is no. for sure. No, you don't. But he still has absolutely no idea how to fight properly. You know, his you know the, how to use it to his advantage. To be, no clue. 
no idea. You know, he should be standing far away and, you know, throwing, you know, a ton of kicks and keeping his opponent distance and, you know, using that, you know, that height and that leg reach, you think know, Jones to his advantage. And, yeah, think Jones and Gustafson, how they use it. It's a division smaller and it's right. not quite as pronounced as it is right. as Stroop, but that's the idea that he's you know, going for. Yeah, it is. You know, he's he has a seven-inch reach advantage on Arlovsky. And he'll, the weird part thing about Stroop is he'll do it for short periods of time. Like, he'll do it for, like, a round, and then he, like, won't do it for, like, three fights in a row. The whole thing is very, very weird. And, you know, he has a ton of, you know, he has a ton of submissions in his career. Uh, he has 17 submission wins in his career, you know. And when you're as long and as tall as he is, and you have limbs, you know, the size, you know, the guy's nickname is the skyscraper. You know, when your limbs are that long, it, it leads to, you know, an increased, you know, advantage on the mat as well as the striking. But... When you're that tall, everything you do should be based upon your ability to keep the, your opponent away from you, and you'd be able to land. You know, it's the main reason that Alexander Gustafson gave John Jones his biggest challenge of his career, because for the first time ever, he Jones facing a fighter with that he couldn't beat with his re, you know with his reach and his land because Gustafson is built you know very similarly. And it ended up leading, you know, to one of the greatest fights of all time. So, you know, I don't like either man. I think Arlovsky is more finished than Struve is, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But I, I, so I guess by definition, I, you know, and by default, I, I have to pick, I'm picking Struve to win. But it's at the point where there's absolutely no reason to have any confidence in either guy because, you know, Arlovsky in particular I'm almost a hundred percent convinced is finished. Struve is maybe like I don't know, seventy percent done. Struve, put it this way: Struve in the right matchup, maybe I would pick him to win. You know, probably not against any top ten guys, but you know, there are some guys maybe I, I think he would be able to beat. Anybody in the division with a pulse, essentially, I would pick over Arlovsky at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, this is very. Very, it's a tough one for me because 8,800, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to pick through for this fight and I think, I think most of us will, but this is another one where 8,800, I don't feel great enough about the man that I'm spending that much in salary on to, uh, to do this. So, I mean, with Struve, he only fought once in 2017. That was a TKO loss to Alexander Volkov. And, um, then our, our Lofsky, the last time he fought, he finally snapped a five-fight losing streak and picked up a decision win over Junior Albini. And there's not a lot of uh, encouraging things there. I mean, Arlovsky at 39 years old, at 7,400, he could maybe get a knockout. And I think that's an okay GPP flyer um, because I don't think people are going to be really heavy, heavily owned on him. His ownership percentage won't be that high. And that could separate you from... Uh, from the rest of the field, but I'm, I'm limiting this one to GPPs. I'm probably staying away from this fight in cash. Uh, you know, I keep teasing. We're going to get to some of the favorites later on, uh, but there are better fighters than Struve, even though I'm going to pick him in this fight. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to the uh, main pay-per-view card opener. We've got a women's strawweight belt uh, with the return of Kat Zingano. She's going up against Ketlin Vieira. Uh, Zingano 7,900, Vieira 8,300, plus 130 for Zingano, minus 150 for Vieira plus 145 odds to finish here uh it's been a layoff for zingano but when she started out she was fighting some of the best in the division john uh, how quickly do you think she can get it back we're gonna find out because i think this is um essentially last call for cat she's gonna be 36 years old in july um she hasn't fought in about a year and a half July 2016 was her last fight. Um, and remember, you know, this is, uh, you know, essentially one of the pioneers of women's MMA. Um, you know, Zingano has wins over Misha Tate. She has a win over current UFC women's bantamweight champion, Amanda Nunes. She has a win over Raquel Pennington, who um, is, you know, rumored to be the next challenger for Nunes. That's not a good fight, but we'll talk about that another day. Um, so it's really essentially how much, you know, do how much confidence do you have in Zingano's ability to bounce back after um, such a long time on the sidelines. And, you know, Kat has shown enough over the course of her career 
that I kind of think she deserves the benefit of the doubt. Now, she's facing an opponent in Ketlin Vieira who, uh, much younger, only 26, undefeated as a professional, so obviously undefeated in the UFC, 3-0. You know, her wins, first two wins, decision wins over Kelly Fashels and Ashley Evans-Smith were both the decisions, and there wasn't a whole lot going on in either fight, but... Her win over Sarah McMahon, who has fallen apart um, in September, was certainly the best performance of her career. She finished the fight with an arm triangle choke, um, and it was really impressive. You know, a young fighter, Nova Unyao product, who is you know consistently making progress. Cat um, is Cat is going to have, even though she's given up a couple inches in height, she's going to have a power advantage. She's a cat's extremely strong for the division, always has been. So. You know, her plan, I think, is going to be to try and out-muscle Vieira. Um, Vieira herself has proven to be a good wrestler and good on the ground. So, you know, that might not be, you know, the clearest path to victory for Kat. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I'm inclined. Like, there's no, I see no reason, you know, there's no, you know, logical reason to give Arlovsky one last chance. You know, I think there's still hope for Kat. Now, I don't know, I don't. You know, I don't think she's going to beat Amanda Nunes again or anything like that. But I think she has enough left in the tank that it's worth gi- – I'm picking her out right, but I think it's worth giving her a look here as both an underdog on the DK salaries at 7900 which is you know a pretty good price, and plus 130 in Vegas odds. I think that's also a pretty good price because she's really facing a fighter in Vieira who we have little information on. Her win over Sarah McMahon was impressive, but then we saw Sarah Mc, uh, you know – it's fighters who are going backwards. You know, she hasn't really defeated anybody who, you know, you would call a top fighter. So we're going to find out really, it's really how much do you think the time off has infected Zingano? Uh, and it affects everybody differently. Regardless mm-hmm. of what Dominic Cruz says, Octagon Rust is real. It does exist. We see it all the time. And, you know, we're going to, I think we're going to find out really quick if Kat, you know, what she did with her time off, because if she doesn't win this fight, you know, I think we're going to have a, or at least I am, we're going to have a really hard time picking her against any legitimate fighter going forward. And if she no shows completely, considering all the time she took off, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that she could step away. You know, she's talked about it before. There have been whispers of it. So if she goes in and she gets absolutely obliterated by Vieira, you know, I guess it's possible she retires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, th- this is a tough one, John, because I don't like, I I know that the ring rust, we talk about that all the time, it exists. And this is one where if you looked at just the names, I'd be you'd be like, oh, Zingano. But if you look at the blind resume of late, the measurements and the stats and block the names out, you understand why Vieira is a favorite. And that's probably why I'm going to take her because they're, like I said, there's a long uh, layoff. Vieira is much younger and up and coming as opposed to Zingano on the late end of her career. Uh, and also Vieira's, you know, has the advantage in terms of both height and reach and she's on a winning streak. So uh, those things added together, looking not at the names, I very much understand where you're coming from in Zingano at 7,900. Why the heck not? You know, that throws you another four or $500 to put towards one of these favorites. And uh, that could be the more logical DraftKings play because they are close enough. But again, if you know if you take the names out, I'm taking the other side of this one. But again, this isn't the pick that I'm going to run to the top of the mountains and, and shoot out super confidently. I'll be the first to admit that. But uh, but I think I'm going to go with the more active, younger fighter with the momentum of late in, in this spot at least. But all right, that's going to wrap things up for our main card here. Pretty much, uh, there's a few more items that we want to get to. You alluded to it earlier. Uh, first of all, Mackenzie Dern, John, uh, she's gotten. She's got a pretty big social media following. I think she's going to be very marketable when she comes and uh, starts getting regular UFC fights. And the UFC has basically set her up uh, like they do with a lot of prospects sometimes. I mean, they're trying to they're trying to build her up here and hopefully get her a win because I mean, hey, Vegas says that uh, that she's a minus four twenty five favorite which is pretty wild here. She's going up against Ashley Yoder, who's 7,200, Mackenzie Dern's 9,000. So she's the second uh, biggest Vegas favorite on the card. But when you look in terms of salary, she only has the fourth biggest salary. So if you'd like to look at it mathematically that way, there could be um, 
some there could be potential there but at nine thousand dollars is she someone that you'd throw into your drafting lineup i mean what do we really know about her so far well we know she's a former world jiu-jitsu champion which is you know no joke for you know a girl who will turn 25 years old next month um but you're right she has extremely limited experience in mma she has five career professional fights um, and, you know, to be honest, they've been against, you know, basically nobody. Um, so you're right in the sense that the UFC is trying to build her up. Um, they, I think, or at least I hope they learn their lesson for what they did with Sage Northcutt and what they did with, um, Paige Van Zandt in, you know, pushing yeah, marketable, young, yeah, pushing marketable young fighters, um, too quickly. And Dern, if put it this way, the UFC brass and Dana White and Sean Shelby and everybody else will be crying themselves to sleep on Saturday night if Dern loses this fight mm-hmm. because she is extremely marketable um, for you know numerous obvious reasons. Um, and she is being set up to win. Now, that's a little concerning because you're you have a young woman who as great as she is on the ground and as good a grappler as she is, her experience in the sport as a whole is, you know, extremely, extremely limited. Now, you know, I don't think either of us think that, you know, Ashley Yoder, who she's facing, you know, and has lost back-to-back fights in her only two UFC appearances is all that big of a threat to her. But, if you're facing, a, you know, in Dern's case, if you have limited experience and you don't fully know what you're doing in there, you make rookie mistakes. And if you do that, mm-hmm. anybody can beat you. Yeah. So um, it's probably, I, I would, Dern certainly has potential. She's certainly marketable. The UFC is, they'll never admit it, but they're 100 million percent hoping that she wins. But until we get a better handle on her true potential as a mixed martial artist. We know her true potential is a jiu-jitsu specialist. You know, she's a former world champion, but that's not what this is. You have to be able to do a bunch of different things in order to succeed in this sport. And we have very little evidence that, you know, she very well could be able to do it all, but we have very, very little evidence at this point that she is. And that makes for her a risky play, especially given how substantial of a favorite she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The big question mark with Dern uh, is going to be her striking because she's five and zero, never uh, doesn't have a KO or a TKO victory. But uh, looking at the other side of that, Ashley Yoder is only five and three. Uh, she also does not have a TKO victory, and four of those five wins were by submission. If there's any, if there's anything that I, I would say, you know, unless there's a rookie mistake in here, I don't think Mackenzie Dern, world jujitsu champion at this age is going to get submitted necessarily. Now she would have to make a rookie mistake. That's always possible. But you know, if the concern is striking because there's not enough body of work to evaluate it, and that's not where she's competed in the past, you know, it's not like it's some kickboxer coming in that's been highly touted. But if the concern is striking, you look at the opponent uh, who doesn't have, you know, a whole lot of a striking repertoire. And that's why I, uh, you know, that's why overall, I, I think she's a pretty safe bet at, at 9,000. So, uh, She's one of the big favorites in there. I'm sure you guys, we can we can wrap up our talk on her because you guys are going to hear plenty about Mackenzie Dern over the next couple of years, especially if she picks up a couple yes, of wins. Trust me, guys. Yeah, uh, if you don't know her already, uh, uh, just, just look will. at her Instagram. You can, you'll see what we're talking about. Um, but, yes, you will. But she's going to be able to back some of that up with skill, I hope, given the pedigree to date. So Dern's a minus 425 favorite. Benil Dariush is a minus 380 favorite. Zach Otto is a minus 300 favorite. Jordan Johnson, who's opening up the entire card, is a minus 330 favorite. That leaves, if you, if you, if you count Cyborg, that leaves five favorites of minus 300 or more. Are you worried about any of those guys, John? I don't know if I would say worried. I'm not worried about Benil Darius because he's really good mm-hmm. and he's really underrated. Um, the Mike Pyle Zach Otto fight is the one I wouldn't be necessarily worried about Otto, but Mike Pyle, if you didn't hear, announced a couple of days ago on uh, the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani that this will be his retirement fight. And uh, you know, Mike Pyle for you know hardcore MMA fans, you know, I've known Mike Pyle for a while. One of the true gentlemen and veterans of the sport 
you know, one of the best mullets you'll ever see in your life. Um, a really, just a good guy, a really good, tough, durable fighter, you know, been fighting forever, made his professional debut back in 1999 with a loss to Rampage Jackson, as scary as that is, you know, going on, you know, 18 years ago, 19 years ago. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, I think we both would agree that, you know, Otto, especially at this point in his career, is a better fighter, but, you know, when guys, you know, looking, you know, down the barrel of the gun and, you know, it's, you know, time to step away, maybe they get an extra, you know, an extra boost from that. And maybe, you know, Mike Pyle knows he's walking and, you know, leaves it all in the octagon and, you know, pulls out some crazy, you know, crazy finish. So, you know, you look at those kind of things, but I think, you know, the majority of, you know, the people you just listed are our favorites for a reason and, you know, all pretty safe plays, but the fact Pyle at, you know, age 42 is finally ready to step aside you know, maybe he gets an extra boost from knowing it's going to be his last time fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, and I'm with you on Dariush, by the way, too. Uh, I've been impressed with what he's been able to do of late. He is the second most expensive fighter at 9,200, but 9,200 isn't outrageous. And I think that seems like a good starting building block for, for these lineups here. Um, you know, he, Dariush got, he had a disappointing fantasy day against Edson Barbosa, but you can't really blame him for that, um, you know has went over James Vick in 2016, scored 133 fantasy points in that outing, and I think we both know uh, what to think of that. Uh, I mean, the, I think I think Darius should be able to get it done and is a pretty strong bet to get you your 100 fantasy points and hit value there. Uh, but these guys are all high-priced. Uh, we talked about Cyborg at 9,700, John. Uh, it leaves you to look at the rest of the card and wonder, uh, where can you find value on this card to fit in some of these favorites? The one that stands out to me, you know, right off the top is Brian Caraway at 7,700. Um, that's, that's an awful low number as far, especially considering he's fight, facing a fighter in Cody Stammen who, you know, while certainly impressive, you know, doesn't have anywhere near, you know, the, the pedigree of Caraway. You know, Caraway uh, hasn't fought, you know, since May of 2016. So he's looking at, you know, upwards of two years on the sidelines. And that's always, you know, better known as the boyfriend of Misha Tate. That's always uh, a concern all the time on the sideline, but four and one of his last five fights, you know, has decisions. Aljamain Sterling his last time out 17 career wins by submission for Caraway, which is obviously a massive number. And he's facing an opponent, Cody Stammen, who is more of a striker, um, you know, probably a bit more powerful, certainly hasn't faced, you know, the caliber of opponents in his career that Caraway has. But when I first saw the fight announced, you know, if I was looking at a blind at, and I wanted to guess, you know, the odds and, and you know, the salaries, I figured Stan probably would have been a slight favorite, you know, maybe minus, you know, 115, you know, something like that in that area. Minus 160 is, you know, a massive, massive line for a guy who has, you know, relatively little experience to get high-level opponents. And, you know, 8500 also seems like a very high price. I would have said something like, maybe, you know, 81 a piece, you know, somewhere in that area. So Caraway is perennially underrated, you know, in a division that has a lot of really, really good fighters. The bantamweight division is very deep. As guys get older, Caraway's 33, you know, they, they tend to fade a bit. but And he's obviously been forgotten about because, you know, he's been away for, you know, the better part of two years. But I think Caraway not only has a chance to return value as – you know, a DK underdog and a Vegas underdog. I think he stands a pretty good chance of winning outright. He's obviously given up a lot of power, but, you know, with his, uh, you know, age and experience and all the high-level opponents that he's faced over the years, I think he stands a pretty good chance of, uh, you know, countering everything that Salmon throws at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you, John. Uh, you make a very good case for Caraway, and uh, I, I definitely overlooked that one a little bit when trying to identify value, you know, and that might get overlooked being on one of the early prelims, but definitely don't discount those fights when putting together your lineups. I can't stress that enough. Uh, when I was looking for value, um, you know, I make this mistake sometimes on DraftKings. I'll be the first to admit where I I look more at the opponent than the actual fighter themselves. And if there's an opponent that I don't have a ton of confidence in or he's been on a streak of getting knocked out, um, I'll tend to pick his opponent or, or that fighter in my lineup. And in this case, I've never thought crazy highly of C.B. Dalloway overall as a fighter, but at 7,800 matched up against Hector Lombard, I would think that uh, that seems like a value value play to me because Dalloway's six years younger, has a five-inch height and reach advantage. 
Um, now, on the downside, C.B. Dalloway hasn't gotten a stoppage since 2014. But you look at Hector Lombard's, Lombard's log there, he hasn't gotten a stoppage since 2013. And Lombard has been knocked out three times in his last four fights. I've seen a couple of those Hector Lombard fights to date. Not incredibly impressed. You know, he's 40 years old. So he could be nearing the end of the line here. And uh, and maybe I'm just underestimating Lombard, but I think at 7,800, uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw Dalloway in a handful or most of DraftKings lineups. I, I noticed you picked Lombard in the article, John. Uh, am I nuts here? No, you're not. Um, uh, you know, the thing with Lombard is Lombard is essentially a light version of Joel Romero, although uh, Joel's kind of figured this out in the sense that He's going to look like a world leader for, you know, two and a half, three, three and a half minutes, something like that. And then after that, he's, you know, essentially useless. And um, Lombard, you know, he's so much muscle. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he is, you know, so much muscle, you know, takes all the energy to carry all, you know, that extra weight and that muscle mass around. And if, you know, I don't think there's any doubt if, if, you know, you said, told me right now, this fight was going to end in the first round. Uh, I would certainly tell you that Lombard probably is going to win. But, um, you know, C.B. Dalloway has been around a long time. If this fight gets out of the first round, he's going to have a significant advantage. Um, and, you know, Dalloway has fought just once since December 2015. Um, I believe he had that weird elevator accident where it ended up messing up his back and yeah. he was sidelined, you know, for quite a long time. This whole thing was really strange. He ended up on the sideline for, you know, the better part of a year and a half. So, but again, you're no. I pick Lombard to win, if only because I think he stands a pretty good chance of finishing Dalloway with that first flurry, which is essentially what you know we say about Yoel Romero. What we said about Yoel Romero all the time. You know, if he's able to finish you in that first couple minutes, he's arguably the most dangerous fighter in the world. If the fight gets past that point, he's in massive trouble. But you're right, as an as an underdog, Dalloway is a good play because. With everything Lombard's going through, there's certainly no guarantee that he's going to be able to get a stoppage early. And if he doesn't, the momentum and, and the value certainly slips to Dalloway. And given his lower salary, that makes him attractive. Right on, John. I very much appreciate the reassurance there. So I know we started out by advising uh, fading a few of these fights, but hopefully we bring, brought things full circle, gave you the favorites we like and the value plays that we like here. That's going to wrap things up for us today, though. John, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a while. I miss it. Look forward to doing uh, more of these here as we continue to move forward. Uh, just some bookkeeping here. Uh, very much, of course, we appreciate you listening. If you can take a sec to leave us a rating and review, that's appreciated even more. You can follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me, Jake, on Twitter at jakeski 52 John, looking forward to coming back and uh, maybe breaking down some of this one and looking ahead to UFC 223, which is Habib Nurmagomedov against Tony Ferguson. Fingers crossed, man, that this fight actually happens, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Thanks again for joining, John, and uh, good luck with your lineups. All right, thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. All right, cheers.